Welcome to Navigating Education, the podcast. The podcast that can help educators from around the world navigate not only the present, but also the future. Through discussions of instruction, ed tech, policy, and school leadership, we're here to connect with you and educators from around the world to help them amplify student learning for the betterment of our students and their future. All righty, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Navigating Education, the podcast, episode 45. We're going to be talking today about the collective mindset, which is um, an organizational framework that um, I think that is really essential for schools now um, navigating just the times that we're currently in in education. And there's so many different things that we have to take into account in regard to, um, you know, being agile institutions, as well as um, looking to the future and um, predicting what can happen to um, us as we try to implement new things over time. And I have two of the co-authors of the book from the Collective Mindset here. I have Dr. Richard Bernardo, and then I have Dr. Al Pisano here. And they're going to talk a lot about this morning, this, um, this mindset and this framework so that um, you know, school leaders as well as teacher leaders across you know North America and the world can really take a further look at this, and so that um, you know we can learn about this and really help us steer our, our schools and districts and institutions of higher education, especially in the tumultuous time that we're in. And um, thank you guys for both joining me this morning. Thank you. Very pleased to be here, man. Awesome. So let's just get started by um, letting our listeners and audience know a little about who you are. Tell us a little about yourself and your background in education and tell us a little bit um, what you're currently doing right now. Yeah, I'll take it away. Oh, yeah, sure. So uh, about 25 years in education, uh, entrepreneurship. I have three real tracks that I'm, I've been involved with. One is K-12, where I became an administrator. Another is higher ed where I do a lot of program development, curriculum development, teaching, um, and then entrepreneurship. I have a couple of successful educational-based uh, uh, businesses and uh, recently author uh, with Rich uh, and uh, Anthony. So, Rich? I'm just trying to do the math. I, I, I think it's, for me, it's uh, 52 years, 51, 53 years at this point. So I'm older than uh, all of you two combined uh, in education and one for one corner or another. Uh, from uh, pre-K, actually, all the way up through uh, doctoral level in terms of formal uh, professoring and teaching and so forth. Uh, a lot of a lot of consulting about futuring, about simulation design, curriculum design, and strategic planning. Um, I keep forgetting all the things I need to say, but essentially, <laughs> uh, Al and I and Anthony, if I can speak about Anthony for a minute, Al, that's okay. Uh, we, we also have Dr. Al Anthony Annunziato, who wasn't able to attend. He sends his regrets, who has been a superintendent in school, two school districts, is a presently a professor at St. John's University. All of us, are, by the way, are professors in one form or another in uh, Colorado University and uh, uh, St. John's University and in Stony Brook University, among other places, in one form or another. And Anthony has... Uh, uh, a strong background in, in finance as well as uh, overall leadership as we all do. 
Yeah, no, that, what's fantastic about all of you is that you've had hats, and I think in almost every single leadership position that you can imagine within K-12. So I think, and then you also have the perspective from the higher ed and really have just experiences doing a, a wide variety of things. And I think as, you know, someone that, you know, is looking towards learning more about leadership, someone that really wants to, you know, put their organization in the right direction, I think, you know, uh, research and experiences coming from you all three is um, really valuable. So let's jump into it and talk about really what this is. What is the collective mindset model and how did you guys develop this framework? What were the moments of motivation that sparked its creation? Uh, I think, uh, Rich, I'll jump in and then you can jump into it. I think the biggest uh, thing with the collective mindset, it was really born out of practice. Uh, we, of course, theorized, we researched, we had ideas around what could work uh, for leaders as far as the model goes, but it was born out of practice through uh, a lot of uh, clients that we work with in K-12, higher ed. Uh, that's where it, 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 it came from. And it's important because it's meant to be uh, for the practitioner. It's meant to be, uh, to, to be used in uh, different environments and it really could be used in educational environments but also uh, organizational corporate environments as well uh rich I'm, I'm hesitant to use the term i'm going to use as a metaphor but i'm going to take a crack at it uh, in certain senses the mind, collective mindset model is a kind of swiss army knife in a sense we don't pretend to have invented each of the uh, of the components of the collective mindset uh, you know found them under a microscope and then suddenly said aha what we've done is we've uh, re-identified a lot of, of uh, research-based components that translate to practice-based components to successful change in any organization, but particularly in schools and in this conversation as such, where we've I've pinpointed issues and, and themes, uh, practices, and sometimes people forget dispositions about uh, changing organizations that needed to be reintegrated uh, re-identified, emphasized in a different kind of way. So there are several components of it. Uh, and then to come back to something, you know, Al Levent said this so long ago, he probably forgot, but I'm, I'm going to repeat it. It's in our forward, actually. Uh, and that is, you know, where are we now? What do we, what, where do we want to go from here? And how do we get to this envisioned future? So the sum, the SUM of what we're talking about, when these practices are integrated in, and used in, in a in an organic way to help the leaders certain times pick and choose which part of the knife they want to use, they'll be able to uh, um, not just fine tune the organization, but uh, and not just restructure it too, but rather reinvent it against a, uh, a future that uh, is something we all are quite aware of and as uh, individuals, as organizations, as citizens of a country that uh, is confronted with lots of issues that all of us have to take care of. It's really, uh, and just to answer that first part too, a little bit more um, thoroughly, it's really about uh, the convening of, of, of the minds of leadership and the synergizing of uh, what we need to do as an organization, what they need to do as an organization, um, understanding how what they do interacts or combines with and synergizes or not with the other uh, stakeholders and aspects of businesses um, with the future in mind. That's always a big piece. So that's this collective mindset 
it's not just the name of the book. It's really about them synergizing and coming together um, so for that common goal and realizing that common goal is part of it. So there's a lot of different components to it, but that's the, the gist of it, that synergy um, of leadership. No, and what I really liked about it is that it's really, um, you know, research driven, a lot of saying, and then Fullen, I think that you guys really premised a lot of it on. And I like when you had the different components of it and uh, graphics relating to it, because there's a variety of different elements to it. And like you said, there's a synergy, I believe, them coming together, these tenets. Um, so can you describe them, you know, the futuring component, the communication and collaboration component, culture, uh, the cultural capacity and engagement of this uh, collective mindset framework? I can take the futuring piece, Sal. Uh, but before I did, before, as I mentioned futuring, I, I also want to emphasize uh, the, the uh, third comma, which would be the cultural capacity and engagement part. In the end, everything is about the culture. And, and culture sometimes is a word that we use so often that we tend to demean or dilute what it's, what it's all about. But the short story part of it is that culture is not only what we do, but why we do it. And sometimes the why we do it is so deeply ingrained and buried uh, uh, so deep down that we don't even necessarily uh, take the time to sometimes re-recognize which of those parts of the, of the culture that need to be uh, emphasized, strengthened, or, and, and addressed as such. So in the end, it's about capacity of the culture to change. Now, futuring is a component that basically controls the, the, the ability, as well as collaboration, let Al talk about that. But uh, futuring is, is a set of, first of all, it's a gerund, it's a noun, it's a verb, depending on how we choose to use it. And in essence, what we're saying is there are skills, there are competencies, and there are dispositions about looking towards one's future that we have a certain amount of control over. We don't have the control over everything, but we do have the ability to anticipate what we call probable futures. And the extent to which we can get uh, an organization, a think tank, a group of stakeholders to have the skills to recognize what the probable futures appear to be, then we can scrape back to that and say, oh, and try to decide whether in fact that those probable futures are the preferred futures. And then the gap, or rather the next connection is to try to figure out where it, the extent to which there's a gap between what we think is probably going to happen and what we want to happen. Pandemic's a good example of this. Yes, a pandemic or some kind of crisis was always probably there. Our capacity to meet that, that uh, set of misfortunes uh, may or may not have been there. And that's why the preferred futures that people have looked towards. And you and I have talked about this many times, Matt and Al and I have cut our teeth on a lot of this, uh, just wasn't there. And that really points back to, again, to capacity. And I'll go on and on. So I'll, I'll pick it up from there. Yeah. And with the, with the cultural, uh, the cultural capacity engagement part, we, we start, our process starts and I won't go uh, too far in without that graphic up here, but uh, it, it is a complex uh, model, but it starts with the culture piece. It starts with us understanding what the culture is in an organization and, and more importantly, getting the organization to understand what their culture is, what their capacity is. 
And that engagement piece is that Matt, you're you're big on the, the instructional design and learning. Uh, it's the engagement piece. Engagement is everything, and learning engagement is everything. And self realization, awareness, right? Um, so us getting them engaged or more engaged as we go through this process is key. And how do you do that? You think about where you want to go, the future, your 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 preferable future. How do you do that? You communicate, you collaborate uh, with others. You start talking, you have start having conversations. Uh, you increase the awareness and then take action. The most important part, actually take action on that. And that's what this process, and it's an editor, very much an iterative and reflective process that we have found um, people don't, you know, just the act of picking up a book, um, your book or our book or whatever book it is about uh, learning, instruction, leadership, uh, that's that's a big step, right? Because you need to get it going. You need to get out of the quagmire of wherever you are, right? So that's a big step. And, that, and just picking up the book, The Collective Mindset, is like, all right, we know we want to do something. What is it? And books like yours, The Collective Mind, yours with instruction, uh, technology, ours with the collective mindset, these these things will get people to where they want to go. And without taking that first step and then following uh, some kind of model like, so, like we showcase, it's not going to happen. So that iterative, that reflective process is is key. And, and, and getting uh, some work or doing some research around that is, is what starts it all. And then you have to take action, of course. And, and within that model, too, the, the, the interior piece of the model uh, speaks to the, the processes that Al's talking about. Um, and I just try to put an umbrella around it or over it would be uh, reflection. And we all know we've all been part of school systems and we all know that sometimes reflection is the last thing on the list. When life, when, a, when life in a school is or a school district is moving so quickly that you're just trying to uh, manage what's going on rather than to create what's going on. And, some, and that requires that people spend, don't really spend the kind of reflection that they need to have to look that back down. And this is a, uh, a pat phrase, but it makes it it's certainly apt. Uh, and that would be to try to really figure out what root causes are at play and how we deal with those particular root causes, whether it be uh, uh, an instructional issue or a, a change issue or uh, the dispositional issue of some sort. And Matt, we have just for, for the listeners, the models comprise of really a baseline where we look at the culture. It has growth zones where uh, organization needs to grow. It has focus areas, what we need to focus on to inspire that growth. And then there's an operationalizing piece uh, where it's done through action research. They develop a theory of action um, and that it sort of moves towards the uh, getting to that collective mindset. And you guys have like the baseline survey and then essentially then they look at the areas that they need to focus on the most when you're thinking about um, further implementing this. It's uh, yeah, it's quantitative surveys, uh, more importantly, qualitative um, through discussions, through uh, uh, where they think they are, where they think they want to go individually. And then uh, really comparing, contrasting and merging that with uh the organization's vision and what others are thinking and what others are doing and how they sort of intertwine rich yeah uh no i really can't add to that that's that's perfectly put yeah i mean i i, I think that you know this is all really great and it's going to lead me into the, the next question but really i think a lot of people get just stuck in the day-to-day -day operations 
And I think it, when I look at all this research, I feel like it comes down to dispositions and time mm -hmm. really like, are you, what are your values, but also are your values going to reflect the amount of time you want to put into something like this? Are you going to sit down and talk about um, the future? Are you going to sit and talk about, you know, how things work? Um, because I think in schools and a lot of large bureaucracies, we focus on day-to-day -day operations. So um, I think that, you know, this is all, you know, I think dispositions is part of your culture. Um, and how do you think, you know, you create that culture where you're looking to wanting to implement something like this or create a future-based culture where you're reflecting and you're thinking about what could be next? I mean, it all comes down to time. Can you give us some examples of how um, they could, you know, spend the time um, creating a future-based organization and just organizations in general um, taking the time to um, use this type of framework? You know, we're talking about it. Uh, we can give you several examples, but I just wanted to go drop back and drop in some nerd research. And I don't remember the title of the author of, the, of this particular research. But the dominant decision-making process in schools is literally, not not numerously, called muddling through. Which is to say, you basically did what you did yesterday as long as it keeps working, without particularly considering about how whether it has any deep impact, uh, futures-based impact on uh, against the vision and mission and beliefs and values of of, of a school. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking of uh, one place where we're, where we're operating right now, where we. It took uh, took some time that we were looking at attendance. Uh, they were, they wanted to look at attendance, and as you started to peel back the attendance audit chart, you begin to realize, right through reflection, that that uh, issues of attendance are um, a multitude of issues. It's not just one issue or two issues. And just to, to get a group to recognize what that what that is about, uh, it takes uh, takes a fair amount of reflection and uh, groundingness to to get to that point. Then you march it around to what kind of strategies are long-term versus short-term, thumbs in the dike, muddling through approaches versus long-term corrective systemic uh, remakes as such. I'm, just, I'm gonna talk too much again, just, just wanna give you another quick quote and then I'll give, let Al uh, fill in the rest of the blanks. Richardson said, uh, when it comes to the future, there are three kinds of people, uh, those who, let it happen, those who make it happen, and those who wonder what happened. And that last phrase speaks to, again, muddling through and not really believing that you can change what your preferred future, to your preferred futures, if you uh, use the reflective processes that Al spoke to, to um, change what you do now to have a future that you absolutely would need to have, if not prefer to have. Yeah, we, we, we call it put the, putting the fires out mentality, Matt, I think uh, is what everybody's referring to. It's like, wait, what's next? Let's deal with that and not think about what we have to do tomorrow, right? Um, and for uh, it, it's, it's so many different uh, components that have to come together. Um, it is that initial awareness that you want to change um, and that you need to change and you want to sort of shape your destiny and control where you're going. Um, it starts... Uh, with you need really strong leadership to do that. <clears throat> you know, you need somebody uh, or a group of individuals to say, uh, listen, we are scattered. We are just kind of putting the fires out. We are not um, talking to each other. We are in silos. That happens in higher ed. 
um, even more than it does in, in K-12. Uh, we know that. Uh, and we want to we want to change. So it really starts with leadership. And then you need you need buy in. You need to, to your your stakeholders to be involved in the process. You need your stakeholders to understand that what they have now is not good enough for the organization to to thrive. And you want the organization to thrive. You don't want it just to survive. And a lot of them are just surviving and they're not thriving. And they can thrive if they just start thinking about what they want for the future, this sort of cohesive synergistic approach. Rich? I'm sorry, I just wanted to jump jump back to the futures piece. Uh, there are certain skill sets that you can learn that are not used in school sets, in schooling, in school leadership. Uh, I call them type, we call them type one, type two, and type three, where you can use, and they're in the book, some of them anyway, where you can use, can teach it, uh, your your stakeholders, your think tanks to work with you to project what the probable future seem to be by research, by sociological data and so forth. So you begin to squeeze that down to those, uh, to those probables. And then um, there are systems you can use, processes you can use to create scenarios. It, uh, Matt and I have worked on that a little bit, uh, where, where you create the scenarios of what you think will probably happen and then you decide whether that you want that scenario to happen or not. And that's a process that is not, not used very often, except perhaps in a retreat, uh, which is um, sort of a drop in the bucket. These are the kinds of uh, skill sets and that leaders should be routinely using with their, with their colleagues as often as they can. And discipline, to add, you, you mentioned a couple of things that are sort of essential for these things to happen, but the discipline of doing it um, you, it takes time, right? It takes effort, but it also takes consistency yeah. um, to get this done. And a couple of the organizations and institutions that we're working with now, it's been it's been years that we're working with them, uh, and and that's that's an important piece. It's not going to happen. Um, you could have this epiphany and say, "Hey, we need to change, and this is what we need to do." And epiphany is great because because it's a realization, it's an awareness, but it does nothing if you don't act on it and you're not disciplined enough to do that on a, on a moment to moment daily uh, basis with, with that futures goal uh, in mind. Right. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Just the, the consistency piece that brings up just a lot of recently what I'm writing about and what we're trying to do in our organization is it's about those, you know, habits about daily habits mm -hmm. or monthly habits, right. Where you're allotting that time to go do those things. Right. And it, there's like a personal level and then there's that, you know, organizational systems level where you need to have that time and consistency in place for you to, to you know, spend time making these types of decisions or to think about these types of things to reflect. It's like the same thing when you're thinking about when you're teaching a class, right? Are you going to give them time for metacognition or you, how much time are you giving them for, um, you know, formative assessment or guided practice? It's very it's very similar in terms of the, the routines. Um, so it's really, um, really, really interesting. And as I move to our next question, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you know, if I was to get this book for my operations team or leadership teams, how would you suggest a school district to best begin to, you know, think about, you know, what your guys are talking about with the collective mindset, as well as, you know, how do you think about beginning implementing some of it? Rich? I know one district that's already that's bought it and is sharing it with their administrators and they kind of do a book talk uh, and that's that's a nice kickoff. Uh, 
the, the other piece, and I think you talked about it earlier, Matt, about um, the self-assessment piece that we, we, we continue to develop, quite frankly, but the one that we have now where uh, a, a group can individually and as a whole with a W take stock of the extent to which it's got those the skills and dispositions in place to transform it, its, uh, its district to take it to the next place. So of itself, I think the book is a great baseline to uh, work things through. And each of the chapters has some operationalized case studies within them that uh, suggest things that, uh, especially the last chapter, it suggests things that uh, just a superintendent or a principal might want to consider and look out for in certain senses. But the other piece of it too is uh, uh, we intend to uh, begin a series of uh, workshops and seminar webinars that will uh, uh, fill in some of those blanks as it moves along, as well as uh, provide a forum for troubleshooting uh, for them uh, should they uh, ask for that kind of help. Yeah, I mean, it really, the the book and the model itself, it's, uh, we designed it so that it could be a really practical guide for, for folks. So just picking up the book and reading the book um, is a really great start. I think you, you need guidance, you need folks like us, folks like you, Matt, uh, to come in and help uh, with that process. Um, what we found too is being an outside entity sometimes coming in as a, as a, as a consultant um, uh, is needed. And I even found this in my doctoral research. So like that third party, a lot of times it's very challenging to get things going um, internally because there's not someone pushing the initiative besides a siloed individual somewhere. So we found just as that third party um, as long as leadership is accepting of that and there's buy-in from the stakeholders, um, that that is huge. So the book sort of acts as that third party um, to come in, and then we could also come in and and help out. But um, it's like I said, it's really designed for uh, practical application with some wonderful sort of scenarios and suggestions on how to operationalize uh, what we do. Rich, yeah, and along the way, if things kick up, uh, if they pick up the phone or they email us and say, this isn't working so well, what do we, what do we have, to, have to take a look at? And then we'll work with them on that. Yeah, no, and, and what I really like about it when I was reading the book is that there's a lot of dialogues in place and it's a lot scenario-based. So it was actually quite entertaining to think about those types of scenarios that were happening and the dialogue nature of you know, how that conversation could go. And then thinking about what are the conversations that we're currently having in our organization and how can we, you know, maybe avoid a ship from some of these pitfalls that we may be having in these conversations. I mean, to me, from just a practical standpoint, just from reading the book, that really was helpful for me when I was looking at those dialogues and those examples, which um, really made it a lot easier for me to go through and read and think about, well, how are we going to, you know, implement more of this, um, you know, future-based, um, you know, future-based scenarios, or for example, how are we going to change our culture and mindset? So those are the types of things that were really helpful for me, I thought. We appreciate that feedback. And the, the, this, the uh, scenarios are Rich's baby mainly, um, but they do, and I agree with you, they do, people want uh, or need uh, sort of a nugget that they can relate to that uh, in, in the in the doctoral world we call that uh, the conceptual framework or the lens yeah. through which we see things right um and that that's an important piece if you don't have that lens or that entry point in which to understand a process or a model or a way of doing things 
uh, you're either going to dismiss it or you're going to try it and just not understand it and it's going to fail. So that's a big piece of it. And having that relatable content so that people could take action on it is really big. So I appreciate that feedback. Yeah, we very much appreciate that. Thank you. So our last question is, you know, when I always leave off at the very end of the podcast, I always want the guests to talk about what are two to three tips that you suggest, you know, educators, school leaders, teachers implement in their practice to help them navigate education this week. So what do you both have in terms of what are a few uh, tips and tricks for educators right now to uh, navigate this week? One thing that comes to mind real quick and so now I, uh, is a fairy tale. I can use two, but I'm going to use one for the moment. And that is the emperor's new clothes. Sometimes uh, the leader has got to uh, be willing to get a group together and admit that they're not necessarily wearing their clothes. And that, if you think about it, talks about Patrick Lencioni and the five dysfunctions of a team and the ability for them to trust. And so the first thing perhaps would be to do to take their pulse on the extent to which a, a group is willing to trust each other, to say what needs to be said, and to point out the issues that need to be pointed out. Another thing very quickly, and you know, it would be to use one of those, um, uh, those little tricks we have in the book. And one I'm thinking of straight away is uh, futures wheels, for example, it's a pretty simple futures device. Nonetheless, it's very provocative or a SWOT or a SWOT analysis where more people are familiar with yeah. where they get, where they can begin to um, peel back the artichoke of who they are and what they're about and what they really mean. One other one real fast is when we came back to culture, I, uh, I think it might be in the book as well as just bringing in some kind of artifact that represents what they think their school is about and then trying to dissect what that what that truly metaphorically means is uh, very powerful. That's not our our uh, we didn't make that up. That came out of Edgar Schein. Uh, we use it where we wherever we go. And I'm not going to tell the whole story, but we had one place where uh, Teacher brought in a lobster, six foot big long, big lobster on a leash, to uh, demonstrate that, that he, how he thought the district was represented because the district was an island, on an island, and they needed to figure out that they had an island mentality that drove their thinking and their assumptions. So those are the kind of things that kickstart people and to start to give them new ways to realize, which then goes over to transform. Now. One of my favorite uh, teachings of uh, one of my past um, colleagues, bosses, uh, Dr. Joseph Rella, uh, who passed away a year or so ago, but a great guy and really learned a lot about leadership from him. He used to talk about uh, having a flat level conversation. And it's, that was really about, uh, and he would listen to everyone from a parent to a student, uh, to the custodial staff, to teachers, to fellow administrators, and his door was open to hear what they had to say. And that's about what we talked about in the beginning. It's about convening, about coming together, about hearing everyone in the organization and letting them understand the why of things, the where we're going, um, what, how it affects them. He was always concerned about that. And I think a good leader is, is empathizes, understands, listens, um, and, and aligns their, what everybody's doing to that goal of the organization in a way that um, is empowering to those they're listening to, he or she is listening to, in a way that is empathizing, understanding, so that it's not just, hey, you're doing this and you're coming along for the ride. It's, hey, we're doing this together. 
and we're considering what you need and how you are affected as we go through this ride, right? I think that's a really important piece, that convening, that coming together, and that listening, having that conversation with all stakeholders and valuing it from all stakeholders. No, definitely. And I think just that that last tip just reminds me of the thought is, is that um, you can really, I think, there's a good barometer of knowing what the culture is of a, of a place when you it could be a business, it could be a school, when you just walk in the front door and how you're treated. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that you can tell really quick, um, you know, how um, they're going to treat you and kind of, a, you know, really assess the culture in, in that regard. And also, too, I think that uh, if, you're, if you ever take a look at a schedule, you can determine, uh, you know, exactly what the culture is of that organization when you look at a schedule. And if you can get a detailed schedule, especially if in education, a master schedule, um, you can see what's really, really important versus what's not really important. I think that as, as an outsider or someone that's looking in, you can determine, okay, you know, what do these people value? What's their, you know, what's their dispositions? And then um, really determine, you know, what's what's kind of going on there without having that first conversation. So um, I just want to thank both of you for joining me uh, this uh, morning. And what's the best way for our listeners to uh, get in contact with you to learn more about the book as well as, um, you know, hopefully connect. I think if you, if you contact us, um, we're on, uh, people could see that's Twitter for me. We we're on LinkedIn, uh, connect with us on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Uh, you can email us info at leadership redefined.education, uh, as well. If you want any information about the book, if you want to, uh, have conversations around this, uh, bring us in for consulting, whatever it is you need. Uh, we're willing to help. We're pretty giving guys. We're we're willing to give back um, and help folks out who want to get started on this. Um, we get a book talks, a lot of different things we can do um, with uh, with our audience. But uh, get in touch, Rich. Anything to add? Anything I missed? No, I, I think that's uh, that uh, that covers it. Yeah, we I don't think. Excuse me. We have podcasts every week. Oh, about every other week, actually, and. Um, there's context there and, uh, and opportunities for us to continue the conversations. And yeah, definitely. Matt, you've been on our podcast as well. So. Yes, I have. I have. <laughs> it, Leadership Redefined. I think that if you just Google search that or go into LinkedIn or um, you can find that there and, and like it as well as check out their work. I, I highly recommend it as someone that um, is in um, an operations and leadership position now, um, just you know, learning from you all has been uh, fantastic. It's really helped me think about our where we're going, where I'm going. And it's just something that I recommend everyone to check out. Um, so for our listeners, uh, if you want to check out more of our podcast episodes, you can go to my website, MatthewRhodes.com, uh, or any of your favorite uh, podcast listening applications. We have episodes on leadership, instruction, coaching, um, ed tech, you name it. we got so many different things we're talking about, and we're just trying to help you navigate education um, as it's May currently, um, and it's coming towards the little end of the year for some of us. And for some of you, you might be just starting your summer term in the next few weeks. So it's definitely um, time for you know reflection and relief. And we hope that this summer you can take a listen. Um, to not only this episode, but to all the other episodes that we have on this podcast. So thank you, everyone. And we hope that you have a great day today. Have a good one. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Matt.